Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, and welcome to Everything is Fine, a podcast for women over 40. We are your hosts. I'm Kim France. And I'm Jen Romolini. And I, Kim France, have to apologize for the unholy racket in the background. There is construction going on on both sides of me and in the street in front of me. And so sound is not ideal. It sounds like someone's like razoring through a brain. It's like... (laughs) (laughs) That is what it sounds like because they're razoring through the street. Oh my God. It's so, it's so like, like skull razor. Anyway, it's very intense, but we're just, we're living through it. I also had to turn my air conditioner off in this room. So I'm real spitzing. Because <laughs> it's, like it's a- super hot there today, right? It just is. I mean, again, here we are. We're the weather podcast, but it is- <laughs> <laughs> weather it- is interesting. Weather is interesting. Um, I have a big thing to talk about this week. I, I cannot have, wait. I have been fixed. <laughs> <laughs> You're cured. I went in, you know, I've been having all this brain fog and I've been having all kinds of issues with my meds and like all this shit and my hot flashes and just fucking everything. Sleep. I haven't been sleeping. And so my psychiatrist told me that I should stop smoking pot and taking edibles every night. She was like, it's not helping you. She was like, you think it's helping you, but it's not helping you. And I was like, I don't want to hear that. I'm not going to take (laughs) this information as real. But then she told me that it could, because cannabis blocks receptors in your brain, it could stop my ADHD meds from working. And once she said that, I was like, fuck, okay. (laughs) Right, right. So then I'm just going to take you through this whole thing, listeners. So then I spent a couple of weeks being like, no pot, I'll drink. And then... (laughs) And that went badly because I started drinking wine at night again, and then I was up all night, and then I'm not sleeping. So last week, I went into my therapist's office, and he was like, okay, it's time for some homework. And I was like, okay. He was like, you can't just lose the thing that was working for you. You just can't lose pot, marijuana, cannabis. You can't just lose your like edible ritual that was like relaxing you, what you thought was helping you sleep. 
and replace it with nothing. He was like, that's not how something like this works. This is why you're so dysregulated, out of control, easily irritated, not sleeping, all of it. And he was like, so for the next week, I want you to try something different. And I was like, oh, what is it? And he said, it's very boring. And I was like, great. <laughs> so my new regimen is, which by the way, is this boring? I don't know. <laughs> no, no, keep going. I want to hear okay. more. My new regimen is. The other thing I'd gotten really addicted to was my phone, especially during insomnia. I would look at my phone in the middle of the night, just fucking lost in my phone. So phone, phone is put away at 8 p.m. No more phone after 8 p.m. That's it. I literally like almost cry when I say goodbye to it. I'm like, bye phone, goodbye, <laughs> gone, okay? But you can still watch uh, on a screen. You can watch TV after eight. You can watch TV. You can watch TV, yes. Just not with your little buddy. Not with my buddy, not with my best friend. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> then after the phone, um, I have like a little nighttime ritual that can include a cup of tea, can include a bath, can include a book, but lights out for me between 10 and 1030 with, for me, I don't know if it's going to work for everyone. I'm not a medical doctor. I upped my dose of melatonin, which is actually really working for me. I was taking way too low of a dose of melatonin. I've, I've upped it and it's totally working. Okay, lights out between 10 and 10.30, wake up, here comes the worst part, 5.30 in the morning. But that's only 30 minutes before you've been waking up. It's true, it's not that bad. It feels, it feels fine because I'm going to bed so early. Meditate for 20 minutes to a half hour, 20 minutes to a half hour of yoga, and that's it. That's it, I've been doing it. And I will tell you, I started on, I started on Friday morning by Sunday night, I was like, wow, I feel better. What's going on? And I was like, fuck. Yeah, because you did, you, 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 you regimented everything. I, I regimented everything. And I, I feel really boring, but I feel really, it's almost been a week. And I feel really, I feel so much better. I feel stable. That's so good. So it's discipline. Let's see if I can keep it up, but it's, it's helping. It's helping because you know, the whole thing with meditation is like, you're observing your thoughts so that then you can observe things instead of reacting to them. So like, I've been very annoyed by a lot of things. My life is incredibly annoying right now. No one is behaving correctly. My work is annoying, but I've been able to be, I've been able to say in the moment, oh, that's annoying. Like instead yeah. of like observe it as being annoying instead of having all the violent feeling of it annoying me. Yeah, meditation is so hard for me, and I always just have to remember that it's it 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 has benefits even if you don't do it quote unquote correctly. Yes, no, you could just fail at meditation. It's just doing it. It's just yeah. showing up and sitting for twenty minutes, you know, in silence. Because even if you're doing it badly, you're like, oh, I'm doing it bad badly, and at least you're having that quiet of having the moment of observing something because that's what it is. It's being able to take that pause in your life. There was a mindfulness exercise that I was once taught that I really like. And sometimes when I'm feeling at odds, I'll do it. Um, that's for outdoors. Okay. You just, you walk and you think blue car, yellow sweater, dog, sneakers, sky, tree, building. Mm -hmm. And you just focus on each thing as you see it. Yep. Yep. And kind of take it in. And I found that that I think maybe because I'm moving while I do it and yeah. I find just sitting still to be such a challenge. Well, that I've heard about that for anxiety. When you're like about to have like an anxiety attack, like start hmm. looking 
everything and, and labeling everything around you. Get, get yourself out of your head. All of this is getting you out. Weirdly, it's getting you out of like the overthinking is what it is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, numbing out with, with drugs or alcohol has always been so fun for me and I've loved it so much, but it's numbing out. Let's face it. I mean, it's like, you know, I'm numbing out of my, you know, at this point I'm numbing out of a little bit out of reality, but also out of the, my physical condition, which is very fucking uncomfortable. Right. I was thinking the other day, I don't have to go into an office. But I was thinking if I had to go into the office with all of these menopause, perimenopause symptoms, like I don't know how I'd do it. I like hot flash all day long. I'm like, I have like mood, terrible mood swings. Like I, I, I really like applaud so many women who are going into offices every day with like this in this state. Like you're supposed to fucking walk around like this. You know? Well, I mean, the, uh, no, it, it is kind of amazing. I find it amazing that like lactating mothers like pull that off in an office, especially considering how few offices are well-equipped for lactating mothers. Totally. You know, even Condé Nast, which was, you know, what, 70, 80% woman employees, maybe that's overstating it, had like really cruddy facilities. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was no, there was no nursing room. No, it's socks. It's like, look, it's, it's, it's the same old shit. Being a person with a uterus is no fucking joke. Um, what else is going on with you? That's my big news. Okay, so I watched I watched a show. A show is back that I had watched the first season or two of. Um, okay. And it's called The Split. Oh. I believe it's a British show. Okay. I believe it's on Netflix. And I wish I knew the names of the stars, even though they're, they're not people who would be readily um, recognizable. To, recognizable to an... Thank you for that simple word I couldn't think of. I'm telling you, I'm, my brain's a lot more clear. Go ahead. The word retrieval's back. <laughs> a little bit. Um, it's about a family and the family, the mother, the matriarch of the family is like a very esteemed divorce attorney. Mm-hmm. Her, one of her daughters is two of her daughters are divorce attorneys also, and they have a firm and she's married to a divorce attorney mm-hmm. and it's about their marriage. And then it's also about all the juicy stories of the people who come in to get divorced. Um, but now they're getting divorced. Okay. 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 It sounds kind of silly, like, oh, a divorce attorney getting divorced. That's so on the nose, but it, it, it it's a really smart show. It's, but it's British. A, it's British. It's like the third season, um, which, you know, because it's British could very well be its last because they don't believe in dragging out shows the way that we do. Right. Right. And it's, it's just a good show. It's smart, smart. I like it. I, I, f- I feel like I, I should have more interesting things to say about it, but that's about all I have to say. It's, it, it's a smart show. And this guy, one of the stars of it was on that show. Um, Joey from friends was on it. Episodes. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Episodes. That was pretty good, actually. Yeah, the guy who plays the husband in that plays the husband in this. Okay, okay. Yeah, so I'm enjoying that. I'm enjoying that divorce drama. I am watching nothing. I'm trying to, like, I don't know if you ever have this moment in your life. I feel unentertainable. Like, I just am like... (laughs) Like, I'm just, I mean, I'm working a lot. I'm, I'm finishing revisions on this book. I'm writing a script a week for this podcast. I am really, really sort of stretched ver- um, verbally, mentally. I'm <laughs> mentally, like, I'm, I'm taxed. And Alex the other night was like, do you want to watch Elvis? Do you want to watch Nope? Do you want to watch this thing? Do you want to? And I was like, ah, like 
all entertainment just feels unsavory to me. I'm having a really difficult time. Well, I have two things to say to yeah. that. Um, it reminds me of an article that my brother wrote when he, he was a lawyer and he stopped being a lawyer. Mm -hmm. um, and he wrote an article about why he stopped being a lawyer. And in mm -hmm. it, he talks about how a colleague of his, you know, he was about a second or third year associate, got a day off after weeks and months of no day off, seven days a week, you know, mm -hmm. many hours a day. Yeah. And she sat in her living room and stared at her feet because she, she, it was, it was, they were in California. She could have gone hiking. She could have gone to the wine country, but she was so burnt out that she just stared at her feet. So that's the first thing. Yes. And the second thing is I, I <laughs> your story of Alex asking you what movies you want to watch reminded me of the fact that um, Paul wanted to watch Melancholia by Lars von Trier the other oh. night. <laughs> and I was like, can we watch Miss Congeniality? <laughs> that Sandy Bullock just does it for me every time. I don't want to watch your fucking movie about depression. Oh my God. Oh my God. Okay. Melancholia is like, that is the, that is the perfect, like, that is the exact detail. That is the exact movie that describes this exact phenomenon. It's like, I know I should want to watch. It's a smart movie. It's beautiful. It's art. Exactly. It's I was like, like, I was just, we were just laying there. I was like, can we just have this experience instead? Instead. I know. I know. There's, I feel similarly. And I, and actually it is a Sandy Bullock movie. The, <laughs> the film Heat. I will never turn down. It's Melissa McCarthy. And <gasps> yes, Bullock. yes, I've seen it. It's so funny. Sometimes I just want something really dumb and funny, which, oh, I did watch something. I watched Shang Wang, which who's like, a I don't know if he's not even young. He's like a 40 year old comedian. And he's, his, his new hour show, I think it's on Netflix, is so funny. It's like mainly about moisturizer, weirdly. <laughs> <laughs> we went down so easy it was like a very old timey kind of like what's the deal with like a comedy like easy and i started watching it like it, it did that thing that netflix does which is just just starts makes you start watching something right you right know? you're like i didn't press anything you've just delivered this and i started watching it and alex came into the room i was like this is what i'm watching now <laughs> <laughs> i know i know i i know that feeling and i i should have felt a, maybe a little bit of shame over <laughs> downgrading our viewing so so much but i just like I, I and i will watch melancholia and i'll probably think it's a really good movie but that was just not that was not in the cards the other night well there are movies that i want to have had seen i want mm -hmm. to have seen and books i want to have read yes but they're not it's not a pleasurable experience mm -hmm. it's just like you know that like I f I've seen Melancholia and I reference it sometimes and it's a it's a thing I like intellectually having had seen. It's an you know it's it's interesting and it's part of my brain now. Hooray. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that I sat there and was like yeah this this is some fun times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know art doesn't always have to be fun times but sometimes you don't want art. That's it. Well, sometimes, sometimes you, it's, you're too tired for art. Yeah. Like I'm going to go see this dance show this week that with my friend Quinn and it is, it looks like such an intense, I don't even know what we're doing. Like I can't, it's, it's Faye Driscoll. It's called, thank you for coming. It's supposed to, I don't even know. So I'm not even going to talk about it. 
I know it's going to be some intense art and it starts at 8.30 at night and I know I'm not going to get out of there until 10.30. I'm going to be past my bedtime, mm -hmm. but I'm doing it because I know that I need to stimulate my brain in that way. I need to see art. I need to be experiencing things. Yeah. Um, but it's not always where you want to go to. It's just like junk food versus kale. No, it's true. Anyway, should we should we get into our episode? I'm really excited about this episode. We get into some really um, intense things about families and forgiveness, which I had not, I had somehow not really expected. Yeah, no, it was great. Let's get into it. All right. Our guest today is Carmen Rita Wong. Carmen is a writer, producer, and nonprofit board leader, including the boards of the Moth and the Planned Parenthood. Fair Federation of America. She is the former co-creator and television host of On the Money on CNBC, and she was a national advice columnist for Glamour, Latina, Essence, Men's Health, and Good Housekeeping. Carmen's also the author of a series of novels, two best-selling advice books, and her most recent book, which I love, a memoir called Why Didn't You Tell Me, which was recently named a People Magazine Book of the Week. Welcome, Carmen. Hi. Hi. Thank you, ladies, so much for having me. We're so excited to have you. So I just want to get into it and talk about this beautiful memoir you've written. It's about race and identity and belonging, but mainly it's about family secrets. And I want to be careful in this conversation not to give too many of them away, but can you tell listeners how this book first came about? Ah, well, how it came about or how I was inspired to, uh, how to you write inspired, it. How you inspired, how, like, what, <laughs> how, how did it, what happened? Oh, <laughs> like, well, like yeah. you ladies, you know, I've been in the media business for a long time, but it actually started um, when I was a little kid and libraries were such a sanctuary for me, such a haven. And I was sitting amongst the stacks, like literally sitting on the floor after school, head in a book and looking around and just loving the surroundings of, you know, I love books, as you can tell. Um. And there are a ton behind her. There are a ton listeners. of books behind me. I got a book, yes. bookcase. I, they're comfort items, but I looked around, I think I was about 11 and I noticed, and it just like emptied my chest. I wasn't there. None of us were there, meaning women, women of color, none of us were in those stacks. And I thought it tremendously unfair as, you know, a middle schooler would. That's not fair. I got to do something about that. Um, and I just yeah. swore on that day that I would have a hardcover book amongst there and that it would change and that hopefully many other will follow me. Yeah, definitely. So let's get into this book that you wrote. How did you first discover the sort of lie at the center of this book? Oh, wow. Um, I was 31 years old. And it was told to me. And the funny thing is, is it's, it's kind of out there. I mean, I think you can get it. You know, uh, my father wasn't my father, but the way I found out, you know, was very dramatic. And then I found out that the story my mother told me to explain this lie, that she ended up dying very soon after, was also another story when I was then in my 40s. So it was kind of like lie upon lie. But I'll tell you this, you know, kids have gut feelings, right? And I had this kind of gut feeling, which I described in the book, of kind of orbiting my family. So I had my older brother with my mom, the Wongs. We were the Wongs. And then my mother remarried and then had four more um, daughters, my little sisters. But I always felt I wasn't fully part of it all. 
And then um, as I got older and I got to know Poppy Wong, who I call, that's how I call him, um, Poppy, I got to know him better and he's taking care of him, seeing him more. And my brother, I'm just growing into myself. And I was just like, just something's not right. Something's yeah. just not right. So you just have suspicions. Um, but I had no idea <laughs> how far it would go. No idea. So what you found out for the first 31 years of your life, you understood yourself to be the daughter of this Dominican mom and Chinese dad. And then you found out your dad was not your dad. What was that like for you? I mean, at 31 to have lived into adulthood. Oh, Kim, it was awful. It was um, to lose the Chinese-ness or the idea of, you know, biologically being Chinese. It was a big part of my identity. I mean, I've always been majority Latina, if only because I spent the most time, of course, with my mother and that side of the family. But the Chinese side of me was very important. And Poppy was very important. My brother was a Wong too. So that hurt tremendously. And I'll say this, after all these years have kind of gone by, I'm 51 now, so 20 years later, um, I can say, you know, do I go around saying, you know, straight up, like, oh, I'm Chinese? No, but I will always be a Wong. I will always, always, right. always be a Wong. It's just, you know, my nieces are Wongs. It's, it is my family and my daughter too, so, yeah. After your parents divorced, you moved to New York, or you moved from New York City, where you grew up, where you had family and community, and you moved to New Hampshire with your white stepfather, right? And he was really into assimilation. Is that yeah. right? Like he, yeah. what effect did that have on you? This, because this book is so much about identity and sort of foundational identity. What what did that take from you having to, uh, you know, quote, assimilate into a white, a whiter environment? It really took everything that I knew at that point in time of my life as a child. It yeah. took absolutely everything I knew from everything from the city and public transportation to always being in a car from, you know, speaking many languages, many languages were spoken around me. It was English, Spanish and Chinese, right? Mandarin. Then we go to just English. We weren't allowed to speak any other language in the house. Music, food, um, all of these things. Even the way I dressed. My mother changed the way I dressed from being like, you know, cute and kind of hip little girl to being, you know, all super, super buttoned up and, you know, school uniform and always with a slip. Some people will get that reference. Yeah, <laughs> He's wearing yeah. a slip under a skirt. You know, everything changed. And then that was just what happened to me. I, I lost my family. My whole family stayed in the city. But then it was the outside world. Yeah. The outside world, this new place where, you know, at home in Harlem, like I, we were just all just a bunch of different colored, multiracial, multicultural kids. And it was normal. And then, then in New Hampshire, it was made very clear to me very quickly that we were not wanted there. Yeah. And that we were considered lesser than just because we existed and how old were you then five wow yeah. now it's funny we we talk about kids like they can just like snap snap with it they're resilient oh, and God. we're not and when you're not prepared emotionally for something like that it's not only the trauma of it it's the shock it's the shock of being thrown into something new because an adult has not prepared you for it 
Yeah. And, you know, back in those days, adults didn't sit you down and have a conversation with you about things. No, 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 no. no. You would like go to sleep and wake up the next day, like in a car, in a new bed, in a new place, in a new state, and there's no explanation. And don't right. you dare be angry or sad or da da da. da. But I'll right. tell you this about, you know, being resilient. When I say kids are resilient, that's, that's adults projecting onto kids what they really want. Because think about it. Why would you want a child to have to go through those things? Yeah. I understand yeah. adults have to do that because of marriages and remarriages or, or jobs or whatever. But to not understand what that does to a child yeah. is incredible because like for you you know when you take your you take a child out of a place where they feel seen understood connected to a community to a place where there's none of that yeah as an adult it's one thing as a child it's it's a huge shock and class is a big thing class is yeah. a class, class is a big thing very big shape shifting like that is a big it's a foundational part of who you are and it's it's not something you can just boom okay now i'm in a polite society or whatever the hell this is and yeah. i feel i feel like oh i'm going to be okay you know yeah and it also sounds like you you didn't your mother it sounds like was was you know she was trying to make a marriage work so maybe she wasn't as present for you, did you, I mean, at five, do you, do you have memories of what that was like when, with your mom then? Uh, well, that was when things started getting difficult. Um, you know, from once we moved to New Hampshire, uh, my mother kind of turned into somebody that kind of remained and escalated for the rest of my life. But I mentioned in the book how even in Harlem, even in the city, how she wasn't that present. She was always a presence. Yeah. But she, I, I couldn't remember her voice um, mm -hmm. because she wasn't as engaged, to your point. Um, she was so young. She was in her 20s. Her father had married her off at 19 to a Chinese gangster. Um, you know, it, it, her life was kind of not her own, and she was rebellious and smart and doing her thing. So it was my abuela, my grandmother, who I remember the most, um, and my cousins and people around me. Then we get to New Hampshire and imagine my mother suddenly, she can't wear her hair the way she wants because she's Afro-Latina, right? She's a black woman. She couldn't eat her food, speak her language. I mean, I mean talk about shock. Yeah, and yeah. then she got successively pregnant and pregnant and pregnant, right? you know, baby after baby. So my mother, and one of the things I really wanted to be clear in the book is the abuse and the trauma were there. Mm-hmm. But I have empathy for her. I wanted yeah. no villains in this book. I wanted to understand why she did. Why would somebody take to the grave something, a secret so big? And that's what I really delve into. And when I went back and like thought about how she was when I was a kid in, in New Hampshire and how angry and how bitter and how you can, you can see how in the book I was like, well, yeah, she yeah. was completely torn from everything. And, I, and there's no doubt she regretted a lot of what she did. Yeah. Do you think you could have written this book um, earlier in your life? No. <laughs> because well, I mean, this is a book yeah. for like midlife, people in midlife. Yeah. And I feel yeah. like we get so, you know, I'm curious what your take is on that. Like, cause oh, you have totally. a lot yeah. of perspective on this at this point. Yeah. 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 Only time, not to say that if you're young, you can write a memoir. Sure. I think it would just be much more specific, I think. Um, but Yes, time had to pass. My mother passed away 18 years ago. 
I needed a lot of time to deal with that. I needed a lot of time to deal with finding things out. And then I find things out again 10 years later. And then you'll appreciate this. Um, as I'm editing the book, I'm in edits. The last big surprise happens, the biggest. And I had to call my editor and say, Sue, I need to write an epilogue. <laughs> <laughs> but you could also say the book just got even better. <laughs> yeah, but you know what's so funny? They acquired it and I wanted to write it even without necessarily finding answers because it wasn't about the end game really so much as the end game just being me. Yeah. Um, and where I, where I was at and where I found myself. But um, definitely time and space and maturity and 15 years of weekly therapy and <laughs> all <laughs> things are, were so necessary in being able to do it. Let's take a quick break from some ads. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Support for Everything is Fine comes from Ritual. So I love Ritual. Everyone knows I love Ritual. I talk about Ritual all the time. I particularly love its daily, their daily multivitamin. And I also really have been enjoying their melatonin. But the thing I love most about Ritual is their Hyacera. It's a once daily skin supplement that's clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. In a clinical study, Hyacera led to 3.6 times reduction in crow's feet wrinkles within 90 days as compared to a placebo. Hyacera led to 2.9 times increase in skin smoothness within 90 days as compared to a placebo. You can enhance your skincare routine from the inside out with one daily capsule essenced with soothing vanilla. I love Hyacera. It's been rigorously tested and validated. It's one of the industry-leading sustainability. It, it meets, sorry, all of the industry-leading sustainability standards. You know I'm a beauty editor now. I am all about keeping my face plump, and Hyacera absolutely has done that for me. I've been on it for months. I don't even know how long, and I can really see a difference in the texture of my skin. My skin looks more juicy, I guess, is the best way to do it. Say it, do it. Ah. Okay, so you can start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash fine. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription to get today. That's ritual.com slash fine for 25% off. 
and we're back. Can we talk about forgiveness? Because it seems like some form of forgiveness had to be possible, like you were just saying, in order to write this book or coming to some sort of peace with it. And Jen and I talk a lot and talked recently about not being able to forgive parents, not being able to give them the grace that perhaps you should. How did you get to that? I did not get to forgiveness, Kim. Um, and oh. I won't. And I won't. But I did give grace and I did find I do find peace, right? So here's how I do. So I see forgiveness as you know, it has the word given it, right? If you are giving to the person who has offended you, you're absolving them, right? You're saying it's okay. I refuse to do that to anyone who cannot apologize or change their behavior. Right. So to me, yes, she took it to her grave and she's passed away, but also still, I gave her the opportunity. I confronted her. No apologies given, no change. If anything, digging even worse into untruths, right? But I did want to make sure to understand her. Mm. And I think the ability to build empathy it isn't about I am empathetic, therefore I feel for you and I forgive you. No, no, it's that you understand that they're a human being. And I think for our parents, especially, I know for me, wow, I mean, it helped with healing so much to really just get her and yeah. see her as a person. Because we're, we're so like enmeshed with our parents that we don't even see them as they're like their own people. If you remember when, they're, when you were a kid, and like you see your teacher outside of school and you're like, oh, that's so weird. It's kind right. of like the same thing with parents. It's like you can't really see them outside of their role. When you can do that, it gives you peace. I think that's so interesting because I personally have had the opposite experience. When I, my father died when he was 49. When I got, to, I've talked about this before, but when I got to the age that he was when he died, yeah. then I realized who he was. And it made me like him less. It made me never want to forgive ah. him because any of the sheen of like being my dad was gone. You know, any of that sort of gut, like you love your parents was gone. And I, I just was like, oh yeah, this guy was just kind of a shit. Well, Kim, notice I am not talking about the fathers in my life. <laughs> <laughs> um, Memoir number two, perhaps. Well, because no, no, no. But I think I think that I share some of that with you on the father side. Definitely. I think, too, that, you know, when you see people as human, you can also just be like, well, um, you, you had the opportunity. You could have been better, you know, and it, and it hurts sometimes even more when you see them that way. So for my right. mother, it brought me peace on the other side. Uh, yeah, still working on that. Not so much. Well, I think that. Um... One thing that I've been grappling with lately for myself, not to be all therapy, but that's where we're at, is I realized how much I wanted my father to be the hero of the story, how much I, uh, in the patriarchy and that internalized my own misogyny, had really villainized my mother more than she maybe, I mean, certainly she was imperfect, but she was dealing with a lot. And when I started... Being able to look at my father, not as like daddy's girl, but I started really being able to look at his behavior in a real way. I started, and it's again, it's not forgiveness, but I, I started being able to understand better, yeah. understand the choices better. 
Because when you're a kid, you the reason you can't separate yourself from your parents is survival. You need them to be good. Even if they suck, you need them to be good because it's a basic survival thing. If you think they suck, where are you in the world? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it, it was it's been an interesting thing for me, especially as I get older, and especially for me as a as a as a mother. Like, oh, I get that decision better. I made a different one, but I understand it. I understand if I was in those circumstances, how I may have, you know? Yeah. And that that's that's helped a lot for me. And it's it's so true and it's so interesting to say that it's you don't need to forgive to have peace. And I don't think we talk about that enough. No, no, we don't. I, I feel too that the idea of forgiveness in such an illicit Catholic school all my life, right? And that whole <laughs> guilt and the shame and all that stuff. It, I think that falls, forgiveness falls into that. It's like some idea that you're a bad person if you don't forgive the people that wronged you, the whole turn the other cheek thing. I think that that's just kind of a way to get you to shut up right. <laughs> about what people have done to you. Yeah. I refuse to be shamed by that. I have had some people when I say, no, I don't forgive, you know, kind of go suck their teeth like you know maybe that's yeah. maybe I'm not as good of a person listen may you get there may may you get to the point you know where you find peace as opposed to doing something for someone else making sure you're doing what's sitting best with you right you know? right why do you think people keep family secrets like where did you how have you where have you landed on family secrets ugh well, they suck. First of all, they really <laughs> suck. Um, I there's so many secrets, and I think that this is also something too culturally that's in a lot of cultures, definitely Caribbean culture. Um, look, I think that what my parents did was particularly um, not kind because I ceased to be their secret when I was born because I was a human being right. who deserves the truth. Secrets keep you distance from people you love. Secrets hide parts of you. Secrets serve the person keeping the secret. They have a reason for keeping the secret, it serves them. It can hurt tons and tons of people, but it serves them. Right. And you know, I'll say that I, I just definitely was felt righteous about like I deserve to know so when I confronted my mother and I confronted my stepfather you know I was like I deserve the right to know yeah. um but they still saw me as this old-fashioned idea of what children are property right you're the, the same kind of parents that raised us and kind of like moved us across across you move you across the country and don't tell you what's going on with your life like it's that same attitude of like that's our secret I kept the secret no 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 you created a human being based off of a secret. That's painful. Yeah. Um, so I definitely believe, look, I, I am solo raising a 15-year-old girl, teenager. Um, we have a, a fairly open, a definitely very open relationship, but with, with healthy boundaries. But I, I refuse the secrets. They, they can't happen anymore. I'm breaking that generational trauma. <laughs> <laughs> Are there are there ways in which your relationship with your mother has changed since she died? Oh yeah. I can breathe. <laughs> <laughs> I can breathe. 
Um, you know, look, there was a reason why I stopped talking to her for two years before she passed. I could not breathe. I could not live. I felt like I was drowning. Yeah. I was consumed. Like I, 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 I was being strangled. I mean, it really felt physically, I could feel it physically almost. Um, and I needed to break free uh, in order to be myself and do my own thing. It's not to say I didn't love her. Of course you love your parents no matter how right. messed up they are. Um, but I needed her to be gone to see her. I would hope maybe one day, I, I wish that I had parents that would see me. <laughs> I yeah. wish my parents saw me, but they didn't. But, uh, but the time needed to pass for her to be gone for that to happen. There's a new memoir, and it was written by a girl who was a woman who was a Nickelodeon star, I think, oh, or a yes. Disney star. Yes. You know the, the title of this book I'm, I'm referring glad to? My Mother's Dead. Yes, I have it. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually so, right there. It's right in the pile behind me. <laughs> I am so intrigued by that, and I think that is the most baller title of a book maybe ever. It is, because, I, you know, look, there's some relief, but tremendous sadness. My um, Poppy Wong passed away uh, a few months ago. And he was quite the uh, character. Um, and towards the end of his life, he became quite cruel. And he got in some trouble with some bad people. And he threatened me and my sister-in-law. And I had to get really down and dirty with him. And I was so tired of his phone calls. And I, you know, the, the calls from hospice, the calls from the hospital, the calls from, it, it was consuming. And I won't say that I felt happy when he passed, because I've had way too many funerals in the past couple of years, but I felt relief. Yeah. But I still miss him, but I still love him. Yeah. All of these things exist together all at the same time. You know? It's the yes and, right? It's all just, it can yeah. all exist at the same time. Yeah. Though for some people I get though, if they was severe, severe abuse, listen, if, if when you're free, you're free. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. No. So beyond this book, you know, you've had this really interesting career. I think you worked for Money Magazine for forever. Is that true? Did I make that up? Oh, not for forever, but uh, forever ago. <laughs> forever ago. Okay. Yeah, forever ago. Um, late 90s, I started there. Yeah. And I ended up an in, in editor there. But I was at Time Inc. on and off for maybe seven years. Yeah. Okay. So, but I mean, you, you know, you've had this really tumultuous, you know, you're in this career in this media landscape, which is super tumultuous. I mean, Kim and I yeah. don't know that really well. Yes. And I think it feels like it spits us out all the time. Like, mm -hmm. especially as you get older, you mm -hmm. just keep getting spit mm -hmm. out. But I, but I feel like you managed to keep a really viable and interesting career, Carmen. So yeah. how do you think about your work? Um, you mean my work of my past? Uh, no, your work, work now. How do you think oh. about, how do you think about like creating that for yourself, creating interesting work for yourself, creating new opportunities? Go, it feels like you're doing things in a lot of interesting spaces and expanding, you know, what, what, what could have been a narrow career in media. It feels like you've done a lot in a lot of different spaces. And I, I always yes. think that's so interesting. Yes. Well, I've always, you know, when print was dying, I moved to TV. When TV was dying, I moved to, you know what I mean? Like it was, yeah. it's always, as you know, you kind of chase it along. Yeah. The, the one, the one big advantage I had um, 
Well, I had a couple, but one of the biggest ones was that I was in a field. I was covering finance. Okay. And that's a world um, where there's very, very, very few women of color. It's a world where um, the money is, you know, right. uh, if you can do it. Right. Um, and the world of advice. And then I became a professor, um, industry professor at NYU that helped me with my corporate, you know, content gigs, you know, all this stuff. I built a business off of right. that, all of that. And a lot of that's from necessity. You know, I'm, you know, raising my daughter on my own. Um, and I, I did well, but I've always just wanted to write. <laughs> okay. That's it. It's that I have just always wanted to write books. And it is one of those things where you're a child of immigrants. Absolutely was not a choice. Right. Absolutely. You had to be a doctor, a lawyer, an MBA. My brother was the MBA. I started out pre-med. Obviously, that's not what happened. Right, right. <laughs> um, but I found my way back to where I always wanted to be simply because through just will, man, I'll tell you, just like absolute will. And there is a fire under my ass that is so hot because I had no safety nets from the age of 11. The money ran out when I was 11 years old. But, but why would the fire still be so hot? If, I mean, I think it's amazing that it is, but how well, do you keep now, the fire? Oh, girl. <laughs> That thing is like, just like that, that thing is just like, it's just some nice, you know, like a slow little campfire now and it's making me warm. It's not burning me anymore. Um, but it took a lot of hard work to get to that point. Um, right. I've been working for 40 years. Jesus. I definitely took a lot of hard work and now I'm able to focus on the creative side and focus on the writing and the creating. And that makes me more happy than you can know because uh, when you're running at that pace for that many years, um, it takes a lot out of you. So, yes, I'm finally able to kind of do what I've always wanted to do. And the fire, it's no, lo it's no longer a fire because I got to tell you, this memoir was a dream of mine forever. It took five years to seriously, from the first proposal, five years, changed agents, got my third agent finally. So it took writing thousands of pages to get to this point. So now I'm just wow. doing my best to try to enjoy it. It's doing well, you know, and thanks for the yeah. people like you who are willing to share the story. Um, and of course I'm doing other, you know, the novel on the side and we'll see what happens next. But so, you, I mean, we talk a lot on the show about how creativity can wane in middle age, but that doesn't yeah. seem to be the case with you at all. I think it's just all pent up. <laughs> <laughs> It's yeah. been there forever, um, forever. Look, I wanted to work for you ladies when I was in the magazine business. I always mm. wanted to be on the side of beauty and fashion or, or, or news or that sort of any kind of glamorous thing. Is because You was didn't creative. miss much. You really no. didn't. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I follow, so I've heard, I've heard, you know. Um, and I'm glad how it all ended up, but, you know, no, I actually feel more creative. And I think I'll say this. The same part of me that has enabled me to look back at my life with kind of like at a, at a very healthy distance and to look at my mother and my parents and all the people in my life at a healthy distance is the same kind of, now I'm going to get woo-woo, but awakening, yeah. that, that midlife awakening um, that is fueling 
the part of me that I want to live the most, that creative right. part. It's that idea in the psychology of like Jungian type thing of you hit middle age and suddenly your eyes are open and you see the world for what it is. You see relationships for what they are. You see your past for what it was and why you did what you did. And you stop and you pause. And that's what I've done for the past, I would say, since my brother passed a few years ago. You stop and you pause and you just question everything. And then you realize, okay, now's the time I got to do what I'm meant to do. And that's that. Does an awareness of your own mortality come into that? Oh, yeah. People in my family, my family dies young. My mother was 59. My brother was 54. I'm 51. I'm so sorry, Carmen. I'm really sorry to hear that. That's a lot. Yeah, it is a lot. And I just, I, but I've always felt that way. I think I was kind of like, even as a kid, I was like, I've got one shot. You know, I've got one shot at this thing called life. And I'm going to just eat it up as much as possible. I'm going to do everything I've ever wanted to do. And I kind of sort of have, and I'm not bragging with that. I'm telling you, it just happened that way. Yeah. And I'm like, now it's kind of like, okay, now what, well, now comes the real stuff for me. My brother, when he got sick, you know, he spent, talk about a striver, striver, first boy in the family, first boy to get a degree, first boy to get out of high school for, you know, all of those things. And he built this multi-million dollar business. The recession happened 2008. It all crashes, right? He barely saw his family. And he finally sits down. He goes, this was about a year and a half, no, two years before he died. And he said, I don't want to do that anymore. I worked my butt off and every, I was told that I would be rewarded and I've lost everything because mm. he, he had to go bankrupt. Oh. And he said, I'm going to be a blackjack dealer. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> That's amazing. And it was ama- Oh, trust me. When he told me that, I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, what? You know, I was like, the sister, you, what, what are you, what, what, you know, it just was my head just exploded. What are you doing? You know, and I'm thinking of the kids and the thing. Thankfully, his wife, you know, does well and high level government official, but still I was like, ah. and he was like, look, might as well have fun. Yeah. I'm going to make a little bit of money. I had nothing for years. He was in bankruptcy and, and was making nothing for years after that all tanked. And he's like, I got benefits. I might as well just enjoy myself. Something I've always wanted to do. He did that. And he spent a year at the becoming a blackjack dealer at the MGM outside of DC and had a blast. And he saw his children. He became a part of their life, part of their school. He saw, he made friends that he's so many friends that he had never had this many friends before and enjoyed the hell out of himself. One year into it, he gets his diagnosis and can't work anymore. But I do not want to wait one more moment to make that blackjack dealer choice. And that's what I did with the book. I said, this is it. This is it. This is, this is me being a blackjack dealer. You know, I've said on this show before, and people have disagreed with me enough for me to think maybe I'm wrong, that, no, that when people say nobody ever lays on their hospital bed, on their deathbed, wishing they had spent more time at the office, I always, I always kind of think, well, I, I feel like some people probably do wish they had, you know, exploited their work, been more creative, accomplished more. And I've actually had hospice nurses <laughs> write in and say, you are incorrect. But it, your brother's story reminds me of that, of just like, 
he chose he chose one kind of work over another, but he met, found time to be with his family, to be with his children, to have happiness and fun before he got sick and died. It's the yeah. right kind of work. It's the right kind of work. It's the it's- right kind of work. Yeah. And and Jen, Kim, the, you know, it all works out in the end. My thing has always been, and I've taken a lot of risks in my career and have worked for myself. I don't know how many, seventeen years now, um, because I was always like, what's the worst that can happen? I wait tables, I become a blackjack dealer, I'll figure it out. But I got to say that I turned down, I left the TV business and I turned down my last big contract offer for a network that I thought I had always wanted to be on and with because I found myself suddenly a solo parent with a four-year-old girl who was very broken and I was broken too. And I was like, no, because when I had my TV show, I could barely see her for a good the first six months of the show because we were taping at night those first few months I barely and I was doing the today show in the morning and everything in between and I said never again never again like I I need to be with her because you only get one shot at being a parent that's right um because they grow up so fast as you know it's like all of a sudden you know I had this little four-year-old now I have a 15 year old who's like towers above me you know and I'm just like oh my god um and I'm just trying to make up for all the for what I missed when she was a baby. Um, yeah. So I just, yes, to your point, you make those choices. And no, when you're on your bed, you might say, oh, I wish I had written this book. Or, oh, I wish I had, maybe. But it's who's around you at that hospice bed. Yeah. You know, that's what I'm more concerned with. Can I ask you some questions as a, in your capacity as a money expert? Sure. See what What's I remember. The <laughs> <laughs> What's the best financial advice you ever received? Pay attention. Um, and it wasn't advice. It was that my stepfather took me to the bank when I was 12 years old to open my first savings account with a passbook, right? The fact that he did the quite um revolutionary action of taking a middle school girl to the bank to sit with a bank representative in a suit on a saturday morning and open a bank account that i was now in charge of was like the most uh priming thing for me for the rest of my life and i wish all parents would do that it the paying attention part the having responsibility and the feeling that you have the right, the authority, the entitlement as a woman to be in that space, to be in the money space, to take care of your money, to not apologize about wanting to take, uh, protect it. <laughs> I was going to say hide it. No, I'm just kidding. Protect it. <laughs> <laughs> but to take care of yourself. Um, so that, that, that paying attention and that knowing that it's, you're entitled to taking care of it just as much as anyone else is. Because I think yeah. the, the, the men and the boys, they really get that, of course you're allowed here. This is where you belong. Mm-hmm. Right. Of course you do that. This is, this is where you should be. And because my stepfather did not have boys, I got the kind of like first son treatment. And that was really, really powerful. That's the best oh. advice. That's the best That's advice. Good advice. What are yeah. you going to do next, Carmen? 
constantly getting this question and I'm like, oh my God, I don't know. I know who wants it. It's um, like after you have one baby and people are like, when's the second? And you're like, fuck off. <laughs> well, what do you still want to do? What do you still want to put yeah. it slightly um, differently? What I still want to do? I would like the I would like the book to go to screen. I've got people working on that. I would mostly though, and, and that would be just because I think that the more of us that are represented on screen, the better, um, more women of color, but I think I would just probably write, continue yeah. to write. Um, I'm working on another novel. I've got another one outlined. It's just kind of a compulsion, right? It's like all mm -hmm. these stories coming out. Um, taking care of my teenager, I mentioned she has long COVID. And mm, I'm so um, sorry. Yeah, thank you. So this this past couple of years have been shit. Um, yeah. But she needs a lot of care, a lot of doctor's appointments, specialists, medications. And she's, you know, mentally too, she needs a lot of care. So that's what I'm going to do. And I'm, you know what, Kim, I'm going to try to do? I'm going to try to get healthy because I'm going to try to live longer. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm going to do. Like, I have people are like, what else do you want to accomplish? I would like to see 60. Like, if I could get past the 60 mark, you know how they say, it's like, that will be everything. And I pray yeah. every day for that. Thank you so much for coming on today, Carmen. This was really great. Where can, where can people find you? Because I want them to find you in the book. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Just um, Carmen Rita Wong on Instagram or CarmenRitaWong.com online. Right. And you can reach me through there, too. Thank you so much. Thank Both you, Carmen. You. Thank this you. was great. You're so Wonderful great. Wonderful to meet you through totally. this. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for listening to Everything is Fine. We are your hosts. I'm Jen Romolini. And I'm Kim France. If you like the show, please rate and review it on all the platforms. It really makes a difference. It helps people find the show. If you want to support the production of the show, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com backslash everything is fine. We do live events there. We do special bonus episodes and sometimes we blog. If you want to follow the show on social media, we're at EIF Podcast on Instagram. We have a robust and private Facebook group. We're on Twitter. We're on LinkedIn. If you want to follow Kim, you can find her on girlsofacertainage.com. If you want to find me, you can find me at tinyletter.com backslash Jennifer Romolini. The show is mixed and produced by the wonderful Natalie Rivera. Hi, Natalie. Thank you. And we'll be back next week. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.